I'd invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. If you've got one of our pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 959. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, we're going to look this morning at verses 1 to 11. We've been in a 13-week study this summer exploring just a sampling of what the Bible has to say about the topic of biblical community, about our life together as a church. And this study has been somewhat unique for us, just in case you're visiting with us, because this is not our normal pattern as a church. Typically in our Sunday morning gatherings, we preach consecutively verse by verse through books of the Bible. We, we believe that this is the This kind of steady diet is the healthiest form of preaching for a church. And yet there are times, especially for specific seasons in the life of a church, where it is important to break from that model in order to address certain topics or issues. So this current series has been, you could say, topical in nature. Yes, it's still been expository, but topical nonetheless. We've jumped around all over the Bible just to see and to address certain important issues as it relates to life together as a church. And this series is going to take us through the end of August, and then beginning in September, we'll jump back into a book together. But this series is also unique because the purpose of this series, our intention behind this series has been in an effort to lead us as a church up to the launching of our small groups. On September the 1st, as I told you, our church will transition from a Sunday evening corporate worship service to launching five small groups gathering in various homes across our city. And our expressed purpose for these groups, as we've laid out for you, is that they will be sermon text, discussion and application, accountability, fellowship, and mutual care for one another. And so then, the texts that we've looked at over the course of this study together have been specifically chosen in order to equip you and challenge you and maybe for some of you to convince you that there is biblical warrant, there is biblical precedence for a small group's ministry. While you will search the scriptures in vain to find the word small groups, the idea is everywhere. And... There are some aspects of a healthy church life that we believe are either missing or lacking. Areas within our own church where we need to grow. And we believe small groups will help us get there. And thus the need for this current series. And really in my planning of this series and all the texts that I was selecting months ago... No discussion on biblical community, no discussion on church life would be complete, I think, without addressing the topic of spiritual gifts. Now, if you want to cause confusion and disagreement among many Christians today, just bring up the topic of spiritual gifts. And so this morning, I'm going to bring up the topic of spiritual gifts. Gifts. Now, my, my intention is not in any way to cause confusion or to stir up disagreements Rather, the reason I bring this up is because our understanding and exercising of spiritual gifts is vitally important and necessary to the health of this church and to how a church should function. And I believe 
another important aspect of even a small group. And so we need to spend a little bit of time this morning looking together at spiritual gifts and next week as well. And as I said, this is a hot-button topic because there are faithful, Bible-believing Christians who disagree on this issue, perhaps even some in the room this morning. There are many Christians who have serious opinions or questions or concerns or fascinations with spiritual gifts. Are all the gifts listed in the Bible still operative in the church today? Or have some of the more supernatural or sign gifts ceased with the close of the apostolic age? What about tongues? What about prophecies? What about healings? What about miracles, right? However, if you're hoping that this sermon this morning will answer those questions for you, friend, you are sorely going to be disappointed. That's a sermon for another day. Maybe a study through 1 Corinthians. But that's not the point of this sermon. And frankly, frankly, that's not Paul's point either in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's focus in this chapter is not on the gifts themselves. Rather, his focus, more broadly speaking, is how, on, how all of the spiritual gifts should function and operate in the life of a church. What are spiritual gifts? What's, what's their purpose? Why has God given them to a church? How, how should we view spiritual gifts and why are they so important? Those are the questions he's addressing here. And this morning we will see how a church that faithfully exercises spiritual gifts using those gifts that God has given to each member of the body, not only builds up the church and and strengthens the church and edifies the church, but also does so for the glory of God, to manifest the presence of God among his people. Let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, and I would invite you, as is our custom, if you're able, to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul writes, verse 1, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To one, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You can be seated this morning. Well, gift giving is 
An interesting thing in our world today, isn't it? In today's world, unlike perhaps generations ago, we as Americans today believe that we have earned the right to pick and choose our own gifts, haven't we? Think about it. For example, Amazon wish lists, right? My parents want to buy me a birthday gift. I just say go to my Amazon wish list, pick out something there, right? Mostly books. Or, or think about this, children's wish lists at Christmas or wedding registries or baby registries or, or, or how about the gift receipt, all right? A little slip of paper that its sole purpose is you slip it in with the gift in the case that the person you're buying the gift for doesn't like the gift so then they can return the gift and get something that they do like, right? We like to pick and choose our own gifts, don't we? And the same could be said for the church at Corinth. Here was a church that wanted to pick and choose their own gifts. Spiritual gifts, to be exact, because there were certain gifts that they prioritized over others. Certain gifts that they wanted and desired and were jockeying for because because those gifts were more flashy. They were, they were more upfront and spotlighted and seemed to be more spiritual. Gifts that in reality drew attention to themselves. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems, didn't they? I mean, you, you just go home today and you read through the letter of 1 Corinthians, take you about 30, 45 minutes, and you will see that this was a church who had all kinds of problems and big ones. Commentator David Pryor describes the church at Corinth like this. He says, It was a large church full of cliques, each following a different personality. There were divisions. Many Christians were very snobbish. At fellowship meals, the rich kept to themselves and the poor were left alone. There, were very, there was very little church discipline. A lot of laxity was allowed both in morals and doctrine. They were unwilling to submit to authority. There was a distinct lack of humility and consideration for others. And in general, they were very keen on the more dramatic gifts of the Spirit, but were short on love. This church, not unlike most churches, was filled with problems. And one of the many problems that Paul is addressing in this letter is the problem concerning his spiritual gifts. In fact, Notice there in verse 1, Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts. And so, from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way to the end of chapter 14, Paul now takes up the subject of spiritual gifts, and he addresses this problem. So what's the main problem? What's the, what's the real issue here? Well, it would seem that the real issue underneath all the other issues was one of pride, one of spiritual pride, self-centered mentality, a, a sort of elitism in the church. And, and here, spiritual pride as it relates to spiritual gifts. That's the problem he's addressing in chapter 12. First, I want you to notice with me the Corinthian problem. The Corinthian problem, verse 1. What, what was the real problem here? What was the real issue? Well, the answer is it's spiritual pride. It's, it's elitism. More than just the abuse of spiritual gifts, the, the real issue in Corinth was their misunderstanding 
about the nature and the purpose of spiritual gifts. They, they saw them as, as something to be, to be proud of, and they, and they developed this sort of elitist attitude about them in the church. Notice in verse 1, Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Paul's going to use that same phrase elsewhere, now concerning. He's going to use that elsewhere in this letter to address other issues in the church. For example, chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Or chapter 8, notice verse 1, Now concerning food offered to idols. And so each time Paul uses that phrase, each time Paul is addressing here certain issues or problems that the Corinthians had already written about to him in a previous letter. These were matters about which they wanted Paul's apostolic input. And so at least part of the reason, part of the reason for this letter, for 1 Corinthians, was to answer their questions about these things. And here in verse 1, notice it's their questions concerning spiritual gifts. But it's important, I think, to see here that Paul's answer to their question in his letter isn't intended simply to be information. He isn't just instructing them here. Rather, what he's doing is he is correcting them. He is correcting their misunderstandings and errors on these issues. And here, verse 1, specifically, he is correcting their misunderstanding about the nature and the purpose of spiritual gifts. They were viewing spiritual gifts in the wrong way. How so? Look there, verse 1. It's difficult to see in our English Bibles, but... That, that phrase there, spiritual gifts, the, the word gifts isn't actually there in the, in the original language. It's been, it's been supplied by your English translators. Literally, it reads, now concerning the spirituals. It could mean spiritual gifts, could mean spiritual things, could mean spiritual ones or matters. You'll notice it's also translated spiritual gifts in chapter 14, verse 1, but But commentators are are divided here, whether it should be translated gifts or things or ones. In fact, if if you have the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they translate verse 1, now concerning what comes from the Spirit, which actually might be a really good or even a better translation here. What comes from the Spirit. Now why? Well, because... It seems that in these chapters, in chapters 12 to 14, Paul is correcting here not only their misunderstandings about spiritual gifts, but even more so, he is correcting their misconceptions about what it means to be spiritual. What constitutes a truly spiritual person. Yes, he will correct their abuses of spiritual gifts, as we see in chapter 14. But to a much greater degree, he is correcting them on what it means here to be spiritual. What it is that truly comes from the Spirit. Verse 1, now concerning that which is spiritual, brothers. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does spirituality look like? Ecstatic experiences? Miraculous gifts? 
How should we view these things, these gifts that come from the Spirit? You see, apparently, apparently for the Corinthians, spirituality, it meant possessing, in their minds, the, the greater or the more supernatural gifts, the, the, more, the more flashy ones or the more, the more visible ones, the ones that received more recognition and attention. And so these gifts, they were being abused. They were, they were being used with wrong motives and in the wrong way. And in this case, it was the gift of tongues, which is why Paul devotes so much attention to this particular gift in chapter 14. They, they all wanted it. They were all sort of jockeying for it because to have it meant that you were more spiritual. And, and while those that didn't felt like lesser Christians, unimportant to the rest of the church. And so you can imagine the kind of effect that this sort of mindset was having on this church. Spiritual elitism was rampant in this church. Spiritual pride was causing serious divisions in this body. There, there were feelings of spiritual superiority for those who had these gifts, as well as feelings of spiritual inferiority for those who didn't. Some members of this church were being sidelined and marginalized because their gifts were seen as less important, while others were being viewed as more spiritual, more important because they had them. Tom Schreiner writes on this, chapter 12, it is evident that the Corinthians exalted the gift of tongues over all other gifts. The experience of the Spirit coming upon one, causing them to speak in a previously unknown language was intoxicating. It seemed like a special indication of God's favor. The Corinthians thought that those who had the gift of tongues were part of the spiritually elite, and Paul is bringing them back to reality. They misunderstood the gifts. This was a problem in this church, and it was causing serious harm. And brothers and sisters, the problem is no different in our church, is it? While it may not be specifically over the gift of tongues, it is an issue over other gifts, isn't it? I think it's safe to say that there are many within our church who are not using or exercising their spiritual gifts. You've probably heard the statistic before within a church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. But worse, many have no desire to even use their gifts. Sort of a, a serve-me mentality among perhaps maybe some in the room. Or perhaps there are even more who don't even know what their spiritual gifts are. Or, or you, you see others in the church who have the more visible gifts and you think to yourself, my, my gifts are, are less important. They, they aren't as valuable. Or you think there are gifted people in the church and then there's me. Or the real danger for those of us perhaps with the more visible upfront gifts is to begin to think that mine are more important. Mine are more spiritual because they're more visible. This is a real problem. 
And this way of thinking, with, with this sort of environment and culture created and allowed to breed in a church without being corrected, destroys the church. It leads to sick, unhealthy, weak, unstable, immature churches. And this was the real problem in Corinth. So what will Paul do? Verse 1, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul doesn't want them to misunderstand the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. And brothers and sisters, he doesn't want you and I to be uninformed either. So what does he want us to know about spiritual gifts? And that's what he explains and unpacks in the rest of this chapter. Second, Paul's solution. What's the solution to this problem? What's Paul's answer to their misunderstandings about the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts or or the things that come from the Spirit? What, What does spirituality in a church actually look like? Here's what it looks like. It looks like every member exercising their God-given gifts. And in verses 2 to 11, Paul unpacks and explains the nature and purpose of spiritual gifts. In reality, what, what he's doing in these verses is he is giving us here a definition of spiritual gifts. He's instructing us on what spirituality looks like in a church and thereby correcting any misconceptions we may have about spiritual gifts. So, so what are spiritual gifts? What are, they, what are they for? What's their purpose? Let me give you a definition here. This definition comes from these verses. You may want to write this down. Here's a definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are varied gifts of grace, sovereignly given to all, empowered by the Spirit, for the good of the church and the glory of God. Let me say that again. Spiritual gifts are varied gifts of grace, sovereignly given to all, empowered by the Spirit for the good of the church and the glory of God. So what I want to do in the rest of our time this morning is I simply want to unpack that definition because that definition comes straight from these verses. But before we can do that, it it might be helpful for us to just see the the lists of spiritual gifts that the Bible gives us. Because what are the spiritual gifts? We see them in several places. Notice here in chapter 12, verses 8 to 10, Paul lists a few. Verse 8, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So we see here a variety of spiritual gifts, don't we? The gift of distinguishing between spirits, some call it discernment, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, miracles, healings, tongues, interpreting tongues, faith. Then if you notice down in verse 28, Notice Paul lists there, God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various 
kinds of tongues. So just adding to that list, we see here apostleship, we see the gift of helps or serving, and even the gift of administration. Then in Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn there, Romans 12 verses 6 6 to 8, Paul says here, Romans 12 verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy, so you'll notice the, the same language there as 1 Corinthians 12, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service then in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, just adding to the list here, you see acts of mercy and leading and contributing and exhorting and serving and prophecy. And then finally, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we saw this passage several weeks ago. Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul writes there, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So, there you see added to this growing list office-like gifts, like evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets. A variety of gifted ones. Now, as you can imagine, we could spend weeks here talking about each and every one of these particular gifts, couldn't we? But at this point, I just want to say two things about these lists that we see here. The first thing is that according to 1 Peter chapter 4, really you could roughly divide all spiritual gifts into two broad categories. Peter says in chapter 4 verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so you kind of see this broad list here, or at least two categories of this broad list of of speaking gifts and of serving gifts. But the second thing, I think, to say about these lists is that as you look at these lists, perhaps as you observed, no two lists are identical. None of these lists that Paul gives us are exhaustive. No no list contains all of the spiritual gifts, do they? Which means, I think, that these lists aren't intended to limit the number of spiritual gifts, meaning it's, it's only these, but rather, these lists could be limitless. In other words, while it may be hard for us to kind of think what we would add to these lists, I think Paul and and in fact Peter want us to see that there are myriads and myriads of ways that our good and creative and wise and sovereign God has gifted his church. You see that? Now back to our definition. Look at verses 2 to 11, chapter 12. Let's unpack that definition. And and there are really six things I want you to see here. I see some of your eyes. I said six things. Oh my goodness. Have no fear. I'll try to be brief. Six things I want you to see. Verse 1, Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. So then, 
What does he want us to know about spiritual gifts? What's their nature? What's their, what's their purpose? And, and why are they so important to the health and the growth of the church, specifically the Second Baptist Church? First, spiritual gifts are given to all believers. Spiritual gifts are given to all believers. All believers, every Christian has at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts. Because all believers possess the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Meaning if you are a Christian in the room this morning, God has already graced you with spiritual gifts. Because to be spiritual, to have the Holy Spirit, is to possess spiritual gifts. Look there, verse 7. To each is given in the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or verse 11, notice, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one. So, notice here Paul says, to each. Not just to some, not to just a few, not, not to just the spiritually elite in the church. No, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, how do we know who these each are here, Paul? Who, who are the each he's talking about? To each is given. Well, he answers that question back in verses 2 and 3. Look there with me. Who does Paul have in mind here? Paul has in mind everyone in the Corinthian church, every believer, every member of this church, meaning all of them. Why? Look what he says, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In verses 2 and 3, what Paul is doing is he is contrasting here the Corinthians' former way of life with now their new life in Christ. He says, hey listen guys, at one time you were those who were living in idolatry, pagan idolatry and sin. You, you were led astray. You were hopeless and lost and condemned. You, you were worshiping mute idols. These voiceless, lifeless, impotent saviors. But then, then, in an act of God's undeserved mercy, He saved you. He redeemed you. It was the powerful working of the Holy Spirit who broke into your life. And He convicted you of your sin. And He gave you spiritual eyes and ears. And He enabled you to hear and understand and believe in the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Christ for your sins. And He caused you to be born again. And it was that same Spirit who enabled you to confess Jesus is Lord. Verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Holy Spirit. Friend, God's gift of salvation in your life, it is owing only to the work of the Spirit in your life. It wasn't you. It was the sovereign work 
of grace in your life. It was the Spirit who enabled you to make that saving confession. Jesus is Lord. Which means this morning, if you can say, Jesus is Lord, and I don't mean just with your lips. Teenagers, children, listen. I don't mean just with your lips. If you can say, Jesus is Lord, with your heart and with your life, if you've repented of your sins and you believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and perhaps there are some of you here this morning that you need to do that, and you can do that right now, cry out, Jesus is Lord, God save me. If you have made that confession this morning, then you have already experienced the most amazing, profound, powerful, beautiful work of the Spirit of God in your life. He enabled you to confess, Christ is Lord. Hmm. Now, why would you remind them of that? Some say the Corinthians were trying to bring these ecstatic pagan experiences from their past into the church. And don't, he's saying, don't mix the two. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing. No, before he ever launches into this discussion about spiritual gifts, why does he remind them here that their salvation is owing only to the work of the Spirit in their lives? Here's why. It's because he is reminding them that the same Spirit who called them and regenerated them and converted them and justified them and forgave them and now indwells them, that same Spirit has now gifted them. Each and every one of them. And therefore, all who possess the Spirit have now been gifted. There is no room for elitism and pride in Christ's church. He's leveling the playing field here, friends. God's Spirit has saved you in grace and He's gifted you in grace because it's all a work of His Spirit and therefore spiritual gifts are given to all believers. Second, leads to the second thing we see here. Spiritual gifts are varied gifts of grace. Spiritual gifts are varied gifts of grace. Notice First, we see that spiritual gifts are gifts of grace. Look there, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts. Now, stop right there. Perhaps nothing really significant jumps off the page to you here, right? But in the original language, it should. Here's why. That word gifts there in verse 4 is a different word than spiritual gifts in verse 1. Now why? Why use a different word, Paul? Well, it would seem here that in verse 1, the word Paul uses now concerning spiritual gifts or that which is spiritual is most likely the word that the Corinthians themselves used when writing to Paul in their previous letter to describe these spiritual gifts. But it's not Paul's preferred word, which he now uses from verse 4 onward. Paul's preferred word is charismaton. Hear the word charismatic in there. Every believer is a charismatic which comes from the root word charis, 
which is the word, you know, grace. So you could translate verse 4, grace gifts. In other words, in verse 1, the Corinthians want to talk about spiritual gifts, and Paul says in verse 4, okay, let's talk about grace gifts. These are grace gifts, friends. You see what Paul's doing here? With, with that shift in language, verse 4, he, he is drawing our attention here away from the gift itself, away from ourselves, and he's putting the focus where it belongs, isn't he? He's putting the focus here on the grace of God, the one who is the author of every good and perfect gift. Off the gift and onto the giver of the gift. Spiritual gifts are simply another way in which our gracious God lavishes his undeserved grace on us. That's what grace is, isn't it? It is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. Christians, we are recipients of God's undeserved grace. God has not dealt with us as our sins deserved. He punished his son in our place, and now he gives us the gift of his own righteousness. That's grace. And now as his redeemed children, he continues pouring out his grace upon us in the form of spiritual gifts, of grace gifts. And so it should be amazing to us that he gives them to us at all. And I think by reminding ourselves that these are grace gifts, it guards us. It guards us from falling into the trap of believing either that we've earned these gifts, some goodness in me, or I'm not good enough to have spiritual gifts. Pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. There is no way that God would ever give me. I'm not good enough. There's no way he would ever give me spiritual gifts. And guess what? You're right. Because no one is. That's why we need grace. These are grace gifts. The spiritual gift is never about the person. It is always about the grace of God. But the second thing I think we see here is that spiritual gifts are varied gifts of grace. They're varied, meaning they're all different. They're different in number. They're different in function. No gift in the church is exactly alike. Nor does any one person possess all the gifts. They are varied. Where do we see that? Look at verse 4. Now there are varieties of grace gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. These gifts are varied. They are diverse. In, in fact, just notice how varied and diverse they are. Notice a couple of things we discover here. Notice here in verses 4 to 6, the unity in diversity that's running throughout this passage. The unity in diversity. Notice the Corinthians, you see, they were focusing on one gift. They were focusing on the gift of tongues. But Paul, he's emphasizing here all of them. 
Verses 4 to 6. Notice the structure here Paul uses. Look at verse 4. Varieties of gifts. Verse 5. Varieties of service. Verse 6. Varieties of activities. That's diversity, isn't it? Whether it's gifts, whether it's services, whether it's activities, they're all different. But, verse 4, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, the same Lord. Verse 6, the same God. This, this is unity. This is, this is oneness, right? This is diversity in unity. Gordon Fee, commentator, writes, diversity not uniformity, is essential for a healthy church. Now why? Why is that? Why is diversity in unity so important for the health of a church? Well, in verse 7, we'll see in a moment a very specific reason why God has designed the church this way. It's for the mutual benefit of one another. We need one another. All gifts are important so we can operate and we can function. That's the whole point of that body analogy in verses 12 to 27, we'll see next week. However, I think there's something deeper here. There's something much more theological here that Paul has in mind. Paul wants us to discover in this unity and diversity within the spiritual gifts something much deeper. Here it is. Are you, are you with me? Because you need to engage right here if you haven't been. Listen. The diversity and unity of the church is rooted in the diversity and unity of God himself. The diversity and in unity of the church is rooted in the diversity and unity within God himself, within the Trinity, within the nature of the Godhead. There is both unity and diversity. Three persons, one God. And the church's unity and diversity is rooted in God's own unity in diversity. Now, where do we see that? Well, look there, verses 4 to 6. These verses are so Trinitarian. Did you see it? Verse 4, same Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, same Lord. Verse 3 says that's Jesus. God the Son. Verse 6, same God. Theos, most common New Testament name for God the Father. So here you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three equal. All three persons making up one essence of God. But all three are distinct and different. All three have different roles and different functions within the Godhead, the Spirit gives, the Son serves, the, the Father empowers, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit gives the gifts. This is unity and diversity within the Godhead. And therefore, God has designed and purposed His church, listen, to reflect that same unity and diversity as the Godhead. God is glorified by our diversity in unity because it's a reflection of who he is as God. And so then, when there are a variety of spiritual gifts that are operating within a church, 
God's character is on display, and he is magnified, and he is glorified. But in the same way, when God's varied grace gifts aren't being exercised in the church, when we aren't using our spiritual gifts that God has given us, or, or when those gifts that seem like lesser gifts are, are minimized, they're viewed as less important, the glory of God is at stake, friends. And our unity as a church will only grow by learning to appreciate the variety of grace gifts being exercised at Second Baptist Church. Third, I'll be much more brief. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed. Spiritual gifts are sovereignly distributed. Friend, Almighty God himself, in his infinite wisdom, has seen fit to distribute differing gifts to differing people in differing ways according to his sovereign purposes. Look there, verse 11. All these... Meaning all these gifts, like the examples listed there in verses 8 to 10, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Just as a side note, a sort of a theological annoyance I have. Don't refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He's a he. He's, he's not a force. He's not a thing. He's a person. And as a person, he distributes his gifts as he sovereignly chooses. It is the Spirit who chooses who gets what gifts. Verse 8 For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who has willed that each person have the gifts that they have. Which means a few things, doesn't it? It means having the gifts you have doesn't make you any more inferior or superior to others in the church. So, don't envy another person's gifts. Some members of the body, I think, are tempted at various times to feel inferior. It's tempting to compare yourself, I think, to other people. Viewing ourselves as as less important to the church because our gifts seem less important. All the while, losing, I think here, God's perspective on these gifts, right? They have been sovereignly given by God himself to fulfill a specific purpose, a specific function in the life of this church. But it also means we are not to minimize another person's gifts. Why? Because the Spirit has sovereignly given them as He wills. And therefore, do not minimize a gift that God has given. It's it's easy, I think, to, to overlook certain gifts, isn't it? I mean, 
Take, for example, the gift of helps, gift of serving, all right? To my knowledge, in the history of the church, I'm willing to bet that there has never been a real dramatic movement where people are crying out enthusiastically seeking the gift of helps, right? God, give me the gift of helps. And there are countless ways where people in this church are serving behind the scenes in ways that you would never, ever, ever know. And so when we see those gifts being exercised, however visible or invisible they may be, praise God. Praise God for how he has wisely and sovereignly gifted his body. Fourth, spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit. Paul mentions that twice in our text. Look there, verse 6. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Then in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And, and that word there, empowers, it, it comes from a Greek word from which we get the word energy. In other words, no matter the gift, no matter the power or the ability It all comes from God. The power and ability and strength to exercise and to use those gifts comes from the energizing power of the Holy Spirit. Which means that every gift, no matter how visible or invisible, how natural or seemingly supernatural it may be, how mundane it may seem, it is a supernatural gifting, which means that we are dependent upon God who empowers these gifts so that they can be used effectively in the church, not to be done in our own strength, but to be exercised in dependent faith that God would empower that gift for his own purposes. And I think it should be the reminder to us that there is no place in the church for pride concerning these gifts. Don't take credit for them. Because every gift is energized and empowered by the Spirit. Fifth, spiritual gifts are for the good of the church. Spiritual gifts are for the good of the entire church. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7 is really the thesis statement of this whole chapter. In fact, verses 8 to 10 sort of develop that idea to each is given. We saw that. And we're going to see next week, verses 12 to 27, they develop that idea for the common good. Verse 7 is the thesis statement of this whole chapter. So here let me just say what we discover why God has given gifts to his church. Why Spiritual gifts. Here's why. Because not only does it reflect the triune nature of God, diversity and unity, but also we see here it's for the mutual edification of the entire church. In other words, one's spiritual gifts aren't primarily for the individual believer themselves, but they are for the building up of the community as a whole. God has given these grace gifts so that we might serve one another and thereby build up 
his church. Which means that being part of his church, in fact, let me make it more personal. To be part of this church, if you are a member of Second Baptist Church, it means that you join yourself to this church not because of what you can get out of it, but because of what you can put into it. It means that every member of Second Baptist Church is to come to our gatherings, whether it be Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or fellowships or service projects or small groups. You come to our gatherings with a servant mentality, looking for ways to serve. God, how can I, how can I use and exercise the gifts that you have given me to serve this body for the building up of your church and the health of your church? Looking for ways to utilize and exercise your gifts. And if you don't have that mentality, if you say, I don't want that, then this probably isn't the church for you. Get off the bench. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. And it also means that coming with that kind of servant mentality, or for me, for me not to be regularly using and exercising my own spiritual gifts, my grace gifts that God has given to me, actually, you know what it's doing? It's actually tearing down the church. It's not building it up. It's not strengthening the church. It's destructive. It's harmful. It's weakening this church. Do you see that? Oh, may God help us see that. So let me just give you two applications here. Help us apply this, and then I'm going to give you the very last part because it's, I just want to end there. Two just things to think about in application. What does it mean to be spiritual? Verse 1, now concerning that which is spiritual. The Corinthians, in their sinful pride, thought they knew what it meant to be spiritual. It, it meant to be visible. It meant to be pursuing their own glory. It meant to be recognized and applauded as, and thought of as, wow, wow, there's a, there's a real spiritual person. And Paul, he just turns that way of thinking on his head here, doesn't he? No, being truly spiritual means loving and serving and giving of yourself, whether it's seen or not, for the good of the church and the glory of God. Second Baptist Church, may that be true of each and every member of this church. You want to be spiritual, exercise your gifts for the good of others and the glory of God. Second, what are my spiritual gifts? Listen, you don't need to take a spiritual gifts inventory test to figure out what your spiritual gifts are. You've probably seen those before. It's like multiple choice, right? Fill in the blank. Here's what you need to do. With an eye of dependence and faith toward God, okay, you can look in two directions. With an eye of dependence and faith toward God, at the same time, find places in the church where you can serve Ways that you can do good for others in this body and do them. Jump in and do it. Or ask yourself, what do I do that tends to build people up? And if you can't think of an answer, then ask your spouse. Ask someone around you. 
Ask your elders. Ask your small group as they're able to see into your life. In fact, let me just say that one of the beautiful things about a small group ministry is that it provides a setting where we can exercise our great gifts in very hands-on, tangible ways. So let's be a church doing what Paul commands us in chapter 14, verse 1, where he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Finally, spiritual gifts ultimately are for the glory of God. I just want you to fix your eyes on one phrase there, verse 7. Spiritual gifts are ultimately for the glory of God. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, what does Paul mean by that? What does it mean to manifest the Spirit? Here's what I think he means. The reason that God has given spiritual gifts to the church is so that by our exercising of these gifts, God would become visible in this church. God's presence would become manifest among his people. You see, a manifestation is a showing. It's a demonstration. It's a presentation. It's it's putting on display for all to see. And therefore, one of the greatest ways in which God manifests and shows his presence among us is through our exercising of spiritual gifts toward one another. And I would also say that God's presence is made manifest even to a watching, unbelieving world when they see the unifying, transforming power of the gospel in our lives together as we love and care for and serve and manifest his presence among us within this body. A place in which each member of the body is exercising their gifts, energized by the Spirit, Where this is happening, listen, God's presence, his very presence, it is being seen and that is powerful. So are you manifesting his presence? Are you using your gifts for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, what grace you have lavished on us. Spirit, Holy Spirit, thank you that when we were wandering, lost in sin, blinded to the truth, dead in our trespasses and sins, you enabled us to confess Jesus is Lord. Oh, what grace. Thank you, Spirit, that you continue to pour out your gifts on your church. May you do so here at Second Baptist for our good for the glory of your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Has been on Jesus' lane. 
silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation where your love poured out over me now my soul cries out alleluia praise and honor unto thee saint of heaven god's own son to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to that tree oh that rugged cross my salvation where your love poured out over me soul cries out hallelujah praise and honor unto thee now my debt is paid it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun sets free oh is free indeed now my debt is paid it is paid in full by the precious blood that my jesus spilled now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise and honor unto Thee. See, the stone is rolled away. Behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised. He's risen from the My salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor unto thee. Praise and honor. 
gifts are all about the church, aren't they? Without stealing any thunder for next week, let me read a couple of verses in the second part of this. Verse 12 says this, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. So what parts of the body are you here at Second Baptist? Part one, part two, part three. Which, which one are you? Whatever part you are, serve one another, serve the church, and honor Christ. See you tonight.